You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. In celebration of Asian Heritage Month, Talking Taiwan participated in United We Stand, the 42nd annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, and on May 17th, organized a panel discussion and Q&A on the topic of what to do if you are the target of Asian hate. The event was recorded in This Is Part 2, which features the Q&A portion with panelists Chris Kwok, Steve Lee, Sulan Moy, and Peter Yang Zhao. If you don't want to miss out on any of the useful information shared, be sure to go back and listen to Part 1, which was the opening discussion with our panelists and shared in the previous episode, Episode 132. At this point, I'd actually like to open it up to the audience. Um, if anybody has any questions, um, please feel free to raise your hand or type something in the chat, and um, I'll be happy to relay that to the panelists or to unmute you. Before uh, before we get to the, yes, to the first Chris. question, if I just say one last thing. Yes, please. So Thank I, you, Chris. I, yeah, I've been, I mean, so I totally agree with everything Steve said. And, you know, there's a... Back in California in 1854, when the Chinese started first coming to America in large numbers, there was a statute on the books that prohibited Native Americans, African Americans uh, from testifying against white men in court. You could not testify against white men in court. There was a Chinese camp robbed by two white men to kill the Chinese guy trying to stop him, shot him dead. And they found him guilty and they're going to hang him. And they were like, white man, you can't kill just people running around like this is terrible. He appealed it. He said, this statute, they meant to include Chinamen, Chinese people, right? Back then they were called Chinamen. And he appealed it. And the judge said, you are right. And he re he reversed his murder charge. He was going to hang and they freed him. What that means was that the protection of the law that was not given to Native Americans, black people, then they said, oh yeah, we meant Chinese people. We were not part of the law. We were not part of the civic society. White people could walk into a camp and gun every single Chinese person and nothing would be done about it because the testimony of, of a Chinese person would not matter against that of a white man because we were not invited, allowed to participate in civic society. We were not legal non-persons. That law was on the books for about 20 years, but I feel some of that legacy is within us in the way that the law sees non-white people. You're not human. You're not part of the society. You're not part of this law. So I think we're pressing and pushing against it to say, yes, we are. Yes, you must. Let's do it, right? So we have to fight against the legacy of that law. It's still here with us. Thank you. One thing that I wanted to um, perhaps think about is um, what about if uh, you are out and about and you are you see you witness somebody else being attacked or um, uh, you see something happening to somebody what should you do as a bystander and what could you safely do um, Steve maybe you have some comments about that yeah absolutely <clears throat> okay so a couple of things um, what to do if you are a um, I don't want to say bystander upstander um, <laughs> yes I, I want to believe that uh, everybody's going to take action instead of just filming it on put it social media right um, one call 911 number one call 911 if 
you see an attack happening, you see something, you know, illegal happening to, or somebody getting victimized, whatever, just call 911. That's number one. Two, make some noise. You know, bring awareness to the situation. Um, three, I do not recommend you um, how do I say this? Physically intervene or? Yeah, right. Aggressively, physically intervene because, you know, um, if that happens, you know, depending on the person, not everybody's the same. Um, some people will get hurt and I don't want that to happen, right? So, intervene to the extent that you can do so safely. Right. Like, you know, correct. like, like take a video if you can't physically intervene. I actually Correct. think taking a video is the most important thing. I need the person have a record of the assault or attack, and then and then I think your job is almost. We can't hear you. Your audio went out. Chris, you're muted. Oh yeah, Chris. Sorry. Yeah, I just think that you know we don't want anyone to ever put themselves in danger unnecessarily. Correct. So, but intervene to the extent you can do so safely and take video. Right. Yeah. So. Also, I would like to add, um, you know, two organizations out there that are doing a great job um, with sessions like this. Uh, One is the Hollaback organization. The other one is the Center of Anti-Violence Education. Um, We had a session with them this past week. This week, they're actually going to have two sessions. One's going to be available in Korean. The other one's going to be available in uh, Mandarin. So if people are interested, uh, sound out in the chat and we'll make sure that information gets over to you. Yeah. So the second thing is, uh, what, what, what to do if you are the victim? Okay, so do I recommend carrying around mace and weapons and stuff? Absolutely not. Uh, mace is borderline illegal, right, depending which kind of mace you have. Um, so, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, it's better to be safe than, you know, being arrested, like who cares? Worry about it later now, because you bring further problems into the situation. Um, carrying pocket knives and stuff like that, I don't recommend. Um, you know, I think what was good to carry around is a flashlight, tactical flashlight. Um, you know, some of the flashlight has those windows breaker bezels, right? Um, get some training on it. A flashlight is good because you could be at a distance, safe distance. And you could simply just, you know, temporarily disorient the person by flashing the light into their eyes, and then you could run off, right? Steve, we had a question about whether pepper spray is uh, the same as mace. Uh, No, it's not the same. Uh, One is OC spray, one is pepper spray. Um, Mace is, like, you know, some chemicals, and pepper spray is actually made from, like, you know, peppers. Right, because you said mace is borderline illegal, so what... Right. Pepper spray also, because... I I seen people throughout my career get arrested for using pepper spray or mace and get mm-hmm. charged with assault too, which is the felony because the mace or the pepper spray becomes a weapon. So, you know, carrying that around, I seen people, I seen organizations give it out and stuff like that. I don't, I don't recommend it. One, um, as a police officer, I carry mace also on my belt. I use it maybe like twice in my career, and I I never use it again. One, it doesn't work on everyone. Don't think it works on everyone. Um, two, it's very messy, meaning like um, when you spray it, if the wind blows it back at you, you're now blind also. 
Two, when the police officers show up, they're going to be pissed off because now they're going to have to handle this person and this person's all covered in mace and then they're going to get blind also and affected by it. Um, you know, three, also, it, if the person has like asthma or something like that, they might catch an asthma attack and actually die on you. Mm. And you, you don't want to be responsible for that. Mm. Right? So I recommend a flashlight, tactical flashlight, you could flash the, you know, temporary blind them, and then you, you could make your exit and escape, or get to a safe distance and report them, so forth and so on. You, I, I really don't recommend um, attacking the person, right? Because you want to. A lot of people are saying, "Well, I'm defending myself. I'm defending myself. I shouldn't get arrested." Self defense only goes to a certain line, right? So if somebody is attacking you and you stop the attack. That's self-defense. But once you like overcome this person, let's say you're able to overcome this person, and now you got this person on the ground and you're attacking him, right? Now you become an assailant, also, an attacker also. So you will be charged with assault also at that point. Yeah, right? Thank you and, for that distinction. I think yeah, that's a very so, important one that people should be aware of. I right. think that, um, Steve, I'm sorry, um, did I interrupt you or you're finished? No. Okay, so I see someone had actually asked about what happened. Maybe they wanted more details about what happened with the Flushing Bakery case. Um, but before we do that, Celine, did you want to say something? Yeah, it, I mean, I think the tactical flashlight is a good idea, but what if it's daylight? A lot of these incidents are happening in broad daylight. It, so it still works. It still works. Not necessarily going to throw them off as it would at nighttime? No, it's, it still works. If you get... Um, like my, minus 1,400 lumens, um, if you flash that in the person's eye, even in daylight, it still works. It's like when somebody's taking your picture with the flash on, you still like kind of like blink a little bit. You know, it still works. Because um, when I was a kid, I used to carry around a long-handled umbrella just to... That That's fine, too. So like stuff like that, you could, you know... Or your rolling pin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, or, you know, you, you carry your umbrella. You could carry, you know... Um, your cane, you could carry your, your bat if you go into play baseball later on, if you feel like you're going to play baseball later on. You know, like, it's all about how you justify it. But if you walk around with a pocket knife and some mace, you can't say, oh, yeah, I, I use this for work. I use this with that. You know, you're using it as a self-defense weapon, right? And it becomes a weapon, you know. I know of at but, least two Asian women who carry tasers. I won't. That's that's illegal. Also, tasers in New York City. That's illegal. Also. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, since you mentioned the Flushing Bakery incident, would you mind explaining a little bit more in detail? Someone in the chat had asked about what that incident was about. What happened? Yeah, yeah I'm going to invite Colin to also help tell the story. <laughs> Before I get into that, I also just want to sort of clarify yes. what a hate crime is. Hate crimes are enhancements, uh, which means that in order for a hate crime to be charged, there needs to be an underlying crime that is committed. Uh, harassment, and then you are selected because of your race, color, national origin, then that becomes a hate crime and the punishment and the seriousness of that crime. That's what a hate crime is. It is not separate. It is an enhancement. Um, and so here in Flushing, and I'm, Colin, I'll hand it off to you after I sort of set the scene, you know, you have um, an, um, uh, an assault uh, where the person pushes somebody, right? And if they're using a weapon, it becomes assault too. 
but here she gets pushed into a, um, a metal uh, newspaper stand. She gets 10 stitches on the head. And if that is a hate crime, that gets upgraded beyond what the assault three is, which is a misdemeanor. So it becomes a next level up in terms of the seriousness. It can become a low level felony and it be, and, and the, and, and the punishments, potential punishments are um, uh, more, more, a longer, you know, a longer prison sentence or more serious, uh, you know, sort of um, punishment. And so Colin, I don't know if you want to take the story, feel free to sort of tell. Yeah, me. sure. Um, yeah. So that case was actually pretty high profile because, uh, you know, they got social media's attention, Olivia Mon. So they were able to identify the attacker about like a day later, right? So uh, yeah, there was a lot of celebration on the social media about, oh, this guy, Patrick Mateo was captured. But a lot of people didn't know that he was actually released um, a couple of days after he was captured. And the Queen's DA's excuse, Melinda Katz again, uh, was that there was no no evidence of a hate crime statement, right? Like uh, Chris was saying, there needs to be some kind of statement, whether verbal or written, uh, relating to uh, you know the victim's race, color, or region. Uh, but thankfully, uh, because of also uh, you know Chris's work and also the Asian American Bar, uh, which I'm also part of, uh, that the New York Times actually follow up with a story because uh, you know they're you know, the Asian Bar report uh, talked about how there's a lack of uh, prosecution of hate crime, and they were wondering why, right? And part of the, you know, uh, uh, main factor is that, yeah, a lot of police are not doing their job. A lot of district attorneys are not really prosecuting them, kind of being lenient, right? So um, in the New York Times statement, um, the attacker said, you know, they admitted to a racial uh, rent saying, hey, you're in America, not China, please give me space uh, with uh, coronavirus. So with this uh, new statement, um, some of you know, concerned citizens, including myself, my husband David, and also Chris uh, Chan and Chris Kwab, we all kind of part of this little uh, group that we're very concerned, right, that there's no, you know, the Queen's DA hasn't really done much, right? So uh, um, the Bar Association, when some of us had uh, meetings with them, say, hey, why is this case not being charged as, uh, you know, third degree, oh, sorry, sorry, second degree upgraded to second degree assault with a hate crime enhancer, given the new evidence uh, that was reported in New York Times, right? And they were still like, oh, we're not sure if this is really a hate crime. Uh, basically, you know, we all have to kind of keep an eye out on the DAs, right? So we actually went to a lot of, you know, these hong hall meetings, social media webinars, where the DAs were appearing. We questioned them again, saying, why you guys haven't done anything with uh, the Patrick Mateo case, why it hasn't been charged as hate crime when all the elements were there, right? There's the underlying crime, there's uh, the, you know, uh, anti-Asian uh, racial slur, right? So we just have to keep pushing, pushing uh, them. And uh, we also thought about, you know, potentially doing like a rally and uh, some of us have attended some rallies and put up big posters and distributed uh, flyers to let people aware of these situations. So this got, goes back to what Stephen was saying, right? A lot of times we do have to, you know, pressure our community leaders, you know, some of our elected officials to also, you know, pressure 
use, you know, asking them to pressure the DAs, right, to make sure our DAs are, you know, protecting our community, especially in the case of Queens, right? You know, Madalinda Katz, the Queens DAs, she was very proud to say, hey, we started the first anti-hate crime unit in the country, right? But the truth is they haven't really done much, right? You know, you know same for Peter's case, right? They didn't do anything for your case, right? Um, for Patrick Mateo's case, uh, we kept pushing and pushing, right? And also, uh, you know, I personally have talked to Melinda Katz Asian Advisory Committee, uh, telling these people to tell Katz that you know the community's watching, and uh, we realize that she hasn't really done much right in terms of prosecuting hate crime. So thankfully, uh, two months later, actually uh, this uh, last Monday, right, the Queens DA finally upgraded the charge to aggravated assault uh, in the second degree uh, with um, a hate crime enhancer. But this is after a lot of work that we have done as a community and several concerned citizens like us, right, have, you know, done something. So I really want to encourage all of you here uh, to do similar things, right? You can adopt a case that you care about. Maybe you want to rally behind Peter, right, to see if there's more we can do about it, right? But we... You know, if we don't do this, right, basically nobody's going to do it for us, right? We really have to either, you know, get the media exposure, right? In this case, we had the New York Times, right, who talked about, you know, the lack of prosecution and, you know, decided to interview the attacker and get it, got the anti-hate crime statement, which really helped the case because then the Queen's League, you know, have new evidence that they can go after. We requested meetings with uh, the DA's office to demand the upgrade of the charge plus the enhancer. Uh, we attended several town halls where the DA was going to show up. We knew they were going to show up, and we basically kind of stalked them and challenged them uh, right in front of the audience. Why they haven't done done enough? We expressed concern to their allies, to their supporters, to the community leaders that endorsed them. Say, hey, you know, they need to do more, and they really need to stand up for community. And uh, we also attended rallies where we have, you know posted a big poster of like cats don't care. We passed it, um, you know, 200 pieces of flyers and rallies about, you know, where the case was going and why it hasn't been charged as hate crime. So that's kind of what happened behind the scene. Uh, that's, you know, quite a lot. And, but I think, you know, with a little bit more action from all of us, we hopefully will see more of these hate crime charges. Great. Thank you very much. And I think that, um, Chris Kwok made a very important point is that it's all about timing and unfortunately it took like a lot of these um, incidents happening and now we have like um, a momentum and like people are really taking notice and we have to create this narrative so that people understand like um, the nature of uh, Asian hate crime. Um, you know, the, a lot of the other minority groups in this country have a much longer history um, and have established this narrative but um I think we're just getting started. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's one of the things we, we need to do is to tell our story. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've been doing is that, you know, we don't think every single crime should be a, a hate crime, but we feel that when, when there is serious physical injury, 10 stitches to the head, that we need to do something about it. And there needs to be a message sent, particularly within these dangerous times. We also believe in other forms of uh, dealing with, uh, you know, hate crimes. If people don't suffer serious injury or they're like, you know, like high schoolers or junior high schoolers, we think restorative justice. And so we think all different types of like, um, you know, uh, ways of dealing with it are good, but it depends on the situation. And, and in this particular situation, we felt that it called for it. So that's why we went to bat for it. 
you know, and we, and as a community, we are maturing what Peter needs and what Asian Americans deserve is a society and a city that is sensitive and that understands the needs and concerns of the people here. And we are beginning to get to a point as a community where we have enough time and resources and people with the, with the time to press for that in a way that's being about an engaged citizen. Yes. I see two questions here. One question is um, somebody that said um, uh, about the question of um, whether or not you're American citizen or not. Um, there are some people around who are here on a work visa or a student visa or even a visitor visa, and um, they need to know what that they can be protected as well. So I'm assuming this, uh, James, I believe, asked this question. Um I think that this question is if they are um, a target of harassment, uh, can they Everything be protected? Be yeah, every, no matter what your status is, is here. You, yeah. you have, it's kind of what I was talking about, people versus Hall from 1854. It used to be you didn't have the protection of the law if you were an Asian person, if you're a Chinese. Hope we should be moving away from that, and that should no longer be the case. Just because you're here on a work visa doesn't mean you don't you have less protection or less expectation of safety. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Um, your police officers don't ask about your uh, immigration status. You're, everyone is protected once they're on this land. Mm-hmm. This right. is a sanctuary mm-hmm. state, especially. Okay. And I see another question. I'm going to have to read it. Um, so someone said that um, if they went to the police precinct when they're intact instead of calling 911 because they knew that would be faster than calling 911 and then two weeks later the report was not in the system and um, the person went to the precinct a second time the police looked at them like they had three heads and requested that the criminal charge be changed from harassment to assault because the attack was from an object intentionally thrown at me and then it resulted in a large painful bruise okay so the the fact that the NYPD kept telling me it was a Harassment is infuriating. Yeah, so this person said they need to change it from harassment to assault. Yeah. Um, going to the precinct in that instance, yeah, you can make a report going to the precinct. Um, two weeks later, where it's not to be in the system means that they never took the report. Um, it takes about, at most, maybe 24 hours, 48 hours for it to be in the system. Um, especially now when everything is th- done directly in, you know, on the computer. Like if you get into a car accident, whatever is done directly on the computer or on the phone, and you get a report number right away. Um, I would go back to the precinct and do the report and do it for reckless endangerment. Um, it's not harassment. Uh, well, the person was trying to get a change from harassment to assault, and they right, but. The, did the person purposely point at you and say you and do this stuff and target you or was the person just throwing stuff off you know on the balcony or roof or whatever and it just so happened to hit you so intention is the big factor here so if there was no intention um, of hurting you then it's reckless endangerment because the person recklessly do something and unfortunately hit you so that's reckless endangerment um it's definitely not harassment. If the person was cursing at you or whatever and then do the object, yeah, that's assault. So just all about the details. Like I said, you have to be very careful with the details and mention all the details. 
Okay, I see that Jolene has uh, requested to ask a question. Could you unmute yourself, Jolene? Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. I'm Thank Jolene. You. I'm in Seattle, and um, people don't actually know about Stop Asian Hate here. I'm trying to bring some awareness. We did have the stabbing of the students uh, a couple weeks ago. People mm-hmm. still don't know. Um, some of the things I heard to do as a layperson like myself um, is to follow a case and put pressure on the DA. Um, who else can we put pressure on? Besides uh, the DA and right, anybody um, want to comment on that? I would say your local politicians and attorney general's office. Yeah, the um, the DAs we have identified the DAs, uh, you know, and they don't like to they don't like to hear like we put pressure on them because you know what they like to say is we apply the law, you know, we we're, we're doing this right, you know, it's not pressure. So I like to say we we come out and tell them, educate them about Asian Americans where they might not know, because I think what people don't understand if they're not in that aspect of the law is that the DAs have a tremendous amount of discretion in what to what charges to press what kind of level of investigation what intensity to do it like for example like you know okay there's you don't have to have the the chink word you don't have to have the n-word you don't have to have all these words said in order to be a hate crime you can say hey i got your uh, Metro card records, and you don't go to Chinatown, but you went to Chinatown that day that you stuck the knife in the guy's back. Why did you go to Chinatown? Were you looking for a Chinese person? Like, so that's an investigation that the DA can choose to do if they believe that it, that person was selected because they were Asian. They're looking for an Asian person, right? And so, I mean, my advice, you know, is, but as a non-lawyer, it's hard to press if you're not bringing those types of, like, you know, sort of relationships and knowledge. But the politicians then is the rest to create a political pressure to say this community feels unsafe. How do we make them safer and policing and that district attorney is one aspect. Thank you for that. My follow-up is in the suburbs of Seattle, um, all these little municipalities, people do not know. I testified and made a comment at one of the local ones and told them, Hey, stop Asian hate is a thing. And I gave them three different scenarios that are not police issues. But when somebody drives at you at a, you know, for instance, Uh, you know, at your baby, it's not a police issue, but it is a thing. And so what are things that I can do um, to ask the police or educate um, the fire station, et cetera, because they don't know, and I'm just a citizen, and there weren't any crimes. Is there anything that I can do to help educate? Because I'm willing, I'm just not sure how to be effective in that way. I mean, stop AAPI hate and all the data they are collecting nationally. And most of that data is happening in California and New York. Right. But it's painting a national picture. And we didn't think of Atlanta until the shootings in Atlanta happened. Eight people dead, six of them Asian American women. And God forbid anything like that has happened in Seattle. Seattle actually has a really vibrant Asian American community. Um, the international district down there has a great tradition of community activism. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that the city of that no. Seattle is not responding. Yeah. No. And I, I interviewed the a deputy mayor who's Chinese. Nothing, nothing's going on. And we do have a lot of Asian reporters, but we don't have the CFOMs or Dion Limbs. And so I am just listening in the neighborhoods and, and trying to find the story so I can localize it to like, Hey, this is happening. Um, however, people are still not listening. And so, um, there are many local, I know that there's a long tradition, actually Seattle had one of the first, I think had the first Chinese American state senator, state representative. Governor uh, Locke. Yeah, is, Luke, um, yeah. Luke, yeah, you know, down in Seattle, the museum's named after him. 
there's a lot of Asian American yeah. electives in, in, in state government there. And I think they can really be your allies to push that. Um, you know, there are, but yeah. okay. there's not a lot of movement. So okay. I want, I, I want I'm, more. I'm shocked I'm, and I'm sad to hear that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm really sad to hear that because it's got so many great people over the years. It's and true. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just shocked and sad and I'm really sorry to hear that. I don't know. Maybe you need some uh, rally or or some some like kind of mass effort. Like, have there been any um, rallies or anything? There's like there's that? tiny there's tiny yeah. rallies. There was like a hundred people for the guy for the student who was stabbed in our mm-hmm. white picket fence brothel. Mm-hmm. Um, he was stabbed, so there's like maybe fifty people showed up. But the thing is, like it, Seattle is, I think, fourteen percent um, proper Asian. Mm-hmm. However, it's um, you know, we need the rest of everybody to pay attention. There's just a few of us. I'm not even an activist, but mm-hmm. I have such a white community. I'm trying to get people to pay attention and it's a struggle. So, um, it, you know, so I'm listening. This, yeah, yeah. this is one of those times is so unique. Um, uh, Conlin, her husband, David, myself had the pleasure of meeting a young man this weekend, Sam Chang, who's the son of the victim, uh, you know, uh, from the flushing attack. And there were points in time where he felt that, you know, nothing was going to happen and this guy was going to get off. And what he didn't realize, because there's no way he could have, was that there were people in the community that were working towards exerting pressure on the DA, um, making sure that the case didn't just slip away. Um, And visibly, he was touched because, because at a certain point, you know, they took the stand to prosecute the case. And they felt like they were high and dry and maybe nothing would happen. Um, And, you know, for us, like anytime we can provide other community members support, even if it's just verbal, even if it's just a hug, it's okay. And it's great. It's appreciated. It's needed. But in this case, more was able to be done so that the case was actually prosecuted and actually had a positive result. But, you know, Sam did this uh, wonderful speech at uh, the Day of Unity event uh, downtown this weekend. And, you know, he shared his perspectives, his thoughts in terms of how to be within the community, how to move things forward. Um, He sent us a copy. We'll definitely make it available. Um, But, you know, an upstanding young man who, you know, took a bad situation and realized for himself that, okay, you know, what can I do about it? And then do it and then let everyone else do whatever they're going to do because we all have our own respective strengths, position, you know, um, you know, place, you know, in our job, our work, our home. Um, And just that little bit is so meaningful. Didn't mean to chime in. Sorry. Oh, no. Thank you, Chris. I mean, and perhaps there could be more alliances with other groups, like if there's more um, larger groups in the West Coast in California or this or that, like maybe you could have some alliances with those groups and uh, you know, try to get some support or some awareness that way. I think that the, the challenge here in Seattle, in Chinatown, I've interviewed a number of the people mm-hmm. in Chinatown, but it's there's a there needs to be a bridge to that other 94%. Mm -hmm. So the Asian organizations are working so hard, but it doesn't make a difference, hardly, because the rest of everybody doesn't care. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm rather confident, and I can go to these places, but I'm being ignored, which is weird Mm -hmm. for me, because I know, you know, I'm in the white community. um, So it's that bridge that I'm trying to establish. So you think the bridge with the non-Asian community also? 
No, that's the most important. I mean, yes, Asians absolutely. are doing as much yeah. as they can, mm-hmm. but the the white people and everybody else doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of Asians, you know, are not they're helping other Asians that are not outside of the community. And so I'm like, you know, we're missing, you know, 61% of white people who who could do something. And oh. so that is my charge, but I'm, you know, I'm just Right. Well, that's an important question that I've thought about is how to engage with the non-Asian community. Um, so this, um, this is actually like a really uh, topical. Um, the a group that a number of us work with is called the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans. Um, it's in its 42nd uh, annual festival. This year, instead of doing an outdoor festival, it was focused on creating an infrastructure or a framework for community uh, organizations. Um, I'm going to share it briefly just to to get a look, but it's one of those things where, you know, you need to sort of any way we can um, reach out, get to know community members, but not just community members, but um, uh, organizations, individuals um, to ally with, because there are so many community organizations that are not necessarily Asian, uh, Asian American, Asian Pacific Islander um, that are out there, but a lot of these links and connections. So if you go into a Beacon's AI, AAPI Fest, um, you'll see like organizations that have come aboard and basically these are the things that they're doing. You know, um, a whole variety of interests, uh, culture, backgrounds, whether it be in theater, whether it be talks like today's uh, talk with Felicia, um, you know, Korean American story, um, project by project, you name it. But each one of these groups has leadership within our communities that have connections within the different groups. Um, There's Apollo, which is Asian American uh, labor organization. There's OCA, there's Asian Women's Given Circle. Um, And then if you go to the events listing, you can see different events. So, you know, not all these events are completely livened yet because I think we're all navigating, figuring out how to do a virtual events. Um, and as those details are available and as we have time, we're sort of populating all the information, but at least you can start to see, well, okay, there's a bullying event tomorrow. There's, uh, you know, a showing of Thornton Wilder's Our Turn, a reading uh, by NatCo, a theater organization. Um, there's conversations on justice on Thursday, but you know these are things that we need to stop share, start sharing with each other, so that we can sort of partake in it, find out who else is doing what, um, help them, you know, and share that information so that we know what's going on and we have these active lines of communication. More importantly, also you you get a better sense of who's willing to work with other people, um, because you know together. Can that make that much more of? I mean, one individual alone can do wonders, but you know, do it together. You know, then then we start getting a community going. So being able to reach out to Jolene in Seattle and find out, okay, what programs are going on there? Who's doing what? And who? What? What do they need? What information would be helpful? You know, from a law enforcement perspective, from a legal perspective, whatever it might be. But sorry, my two cents. Um. I think Steve wanted to say something, Steve. Oh, you know, can I just drop one point before Steve coming in? Yes, I think please. Steve might ask. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to just just want to uh, as we're talking about, you know, if we can get, you know, grabbing attention from the politicians. And I just want to mention that it's very very important for more Asians to come out and participate in local elections. 
uh, you know, a lot, a lot of us don't come out to support national election, not to mention local national elections, you know. Um, I just want to say, you know, in my, in my case, um, I did actually uh, finally receive, uh, uh, I reached out to Assemblyman Ron Kim at the time in Flushing um, uh, after my wife got, you know, arrested. Uh, he didn't get back to me until about two months, three months after this incident. So then I explained to him what happened that the whole course, including me finding a lawyer waiting for the date. So I mentioned to him that my wife was arrested, falsely arrested. Uh, she didn't even lay a hand on, on, on the person. And I, I wanted to find out, can we do something about this? You know, I was shocked, man, because I see him on TV all the time. Uh, you know, talking about defund police, come up with all these ideas. So I reach out to him trying to find out, is there anything we can do for this falsely arrested my wife? So he said, he said, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, the cop is a moron. And then he's like, but the cops, they're not paid to think, but they are paid to obey. <laughs> That's what he said to me, right? So he said, okay, uh, I'm sorry uh, this happened, but it's a protocol, okay? I'm sure Melinda Katz knows what's right for your wife. So just go to, so basically he said, good luck. So I'm like, man, you know, all this talk, shout, you know, chanting, how, how good you can do for the community. And this is all you can do. Let me follow protocol. And that's why I got to say, very, very important for all of us to participate, not just in national election, but local election, the small guys, because any small guys can one day become the president. That's my okay. point. Thank you for that, Peter. We have a question from Ming Chang. Ming, would you like to speak? Uh, I, I totally agree with a lot of the, the comments. Uh, getting uh, involved with mainstream organization is a good way to uh, the support a lot of uh, Asian American events. Uh, um, you know, from my own personal experience, uh, I'm actively uh, engaged with many of my local uh, community uh, uh, non-Asian organizations. From Rotary Club, American Red Cross, Habitat from Humanity, you know, Chambers, you name it. So, uh, the, you know, and when you need to, uh, to gather support to support a lot of these uh, the, uh, special stop Asian hate uh, events, uh, I typically able to reach out across to many of these uh, the organizations to come and support. And as far as uh, the, uh, getting uh, supporting more Asian American to run for elective office. And it's definitely something I, I, I support it. And I, I constantly uh, supporting uh, candidates. Uh, this Wednesday, we are going to do another event with Michelle Wu, who's running for Boston mayor of the race. And, uh, and for years, I have been supporting Andrew Yang locally. So uh, I do urge everyone to get involved with pretty much you know, any communities uh, events, uh, whether or not it's Asian, non-Asian, because uh, at the end of the day that uh, when you need to rally support that uh, you know, these are the people that, that you constantly engage with going uh, rally around you to uh, help help you with some of your own uh, events. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's so important for us to um, increase our visibility. Um, and it takes time. It may be frustrating, um, but yeah, like as we know, um, when Chris was saying with Peter's case, it was so early and timing is everything. It really affects um, what happens. 
um, the whole perception of things. Um, okay, so do we have any other questions? I think we're getting close to, we are at 9 o'clock right now, and I really hope that everybody has gotten something out of this, um, and that, or at least it started a conversation or a dialogue in your mind of um, what you might be able to do. Um, but we are really in an unprecedented time, I think. Um, there's been so much momentum, and we should continue to just look forward um, to what, can be done and move everything forward. Oh, Jolene, I see that. Um, did you want to? I just wanted to get um, just a last action yes. items that everybody can do here. You know, a small one, two action items. Thank you. Okay. So you would like maybe the panelists to suggest some action items? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, Actions as to what? When you're being attacked um, or as in the whole movement itself? Yeah, I, I say you anything that I think small acts that everybody on this call can do. Um, choose some because I think, you know, we can get all this information. It's great. And then we get busy, you know, kids or whatever. So giving us two things we can do right now um, to just move forward. Thank you, Jolene. I actually um, have something which is um, I've been saying is social media has been very powerful in garnering attention and connecting people. So I think it's great that you have your Facebook pages, Jolene. I know also Instagram has been really powerful. That's how I that's how Felicia knew to connect with me because I posted uh, about the incident on Facebook. Um, but I would also add this caveat to parents, which is you know, when your child comes forward and tells you about bullying incidents or harassment or violence, like really create a space where you can listen to them and don't say, oh no, that couldn't happen. Or like, just really listen to your kids because when something bad happens or when something serious happens and they really need your help, you want your kids to be able to come to you and tell you. You know, you want them to be able to see you as a and sometimes I think, you know, some parents, will be, they'll downplay it or they'll be like, oh, it wasn't that bad. And I think it's really important to, you know, start making these issues visible at home as well. That's so true. Yeah. I, I, wanna, so true. I, I just want to pick. Oh, wait, wait, you go, 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 ahead, go ahead, Peter. Okay. Right, I just want to piggyback on what you said, giving your kids a space, a chance to speak from their own shoes, you know, because... You know, now we're wrapping things up. I'm going back to how I started about Tourette syndrome. You know, I'm a immigrant from China. I grew up here for 30 years. But when I first came here, when I was 10, 11 years old, I was assimilating, learning language. At the same time, I have Tourette. I got twitches on my face. I make weird noises. I curse uncontrollably. I arrive at similarity all the place. So I was the freak of the school. Everybody saw me as a freak. Everybody don't like me. I had so much stress going to school every single day. And teacher couldn't help. The principal couldn't help. So my mom has always been, a, I'm very lucky that my mom, she was always a fighter throughout her life. So she told me, you know what? If the teacher can help you, principal can help you, you got to help yourself. You got to use your fish. And that's what I did. I gave the biggest bully a black guy. And that was the loudest, biggest black guy ever. And ever since that incident, everybody gave me respect. They stopped bullying me. Also, I took myself to front of the podium. Uh, since eighth grade, I presented myself in front of every class and talked about what's Tourette's syndrome. 
I talk about all these things. I don't want people to assume who I'm not. I want people to know who I am. That's why it's very, very important to give your kids the understanding, the space, and let him to speak about what he want to talk about. And that is so important. And from there, and we can have a very good start and pushing ahead to a positive future. Thank you so much. Okay, Steve, I think you wanted to say something. Steve, are you muted? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, what can you do in regards to the social, um, the anti-Asian hate or any type of hate that's going on right now? Um, you know, we're not the only ones being hated on right now, right? So use your, your social media platform. Whatever platform you have, use it. You may say, oh, I only have like 100 followers, though, but it doesn't matter. One of those 100 followers may have 3,000 followers, and one of those 3,000 followers may have 10,000 followers, so forth and so on. So, you know, use your, you know, your platform um, to voice out. Yeah. Tell your your story. That's how we do it. Right. And um, as a lawyer who's active in Albany, I feel very lucky to have the ability to speak to, to certain, you know, people and to have other people speak to me that I can bring that message. But everyone else, like Sulaine and Peter, they are unique and special because they bring their story. They've shared it with you. And the power of that is connecting with others you didn't think would connect with you and that you would teach them about something and then you you create something better out of it. So that's extremely powerful, the power of sharing your story. Um, I just want to share one more story. Um, You know, like um, I'm an immigrant from China myself. You know, I grew up here. And when I was in high school uh, in 1989, 1990, I forget which year it was, um, there was five of us where we went to see a movie in Bayside. Uh, you guys know that uh, shopping center. Now, this was before the renovation. So where Victoria's Secrets was, there was a movie theater, standalone screen. And uh, <laughs> five Asian kids went to see a movie. Um, I didn't go. I was supposed to, but I had church, so I went to church. Uh, but when they went into the theater a gang that's very active in Bayside, even today I hear, back then it was called the Master Race. You can see their tags all around Bayside. So it was a a bunch of white supremacists. They said, there's five Asian kids enjoying themselves at the movies, let's let's beat the shit out of them. So when they came out of the movie theater, there was like 20 white kids with like beer bottles and sticks. And they went went to town on um, the Asian kids. Now what they didn't know was like four out of the five of those Asian kids were like, black belt taekwondo so it was like a real good fight a really good one right but you know but that was like 1989 1990 it happened and then it just like we put it out of our minds we didn't even think to make a big deal out of it we didn't even think that we needed to say something we didn't even think i didn't even think about it for 30 years until now and now i'm like you know what that was messed up we got to remember that 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 was in bayside in 1990 we can't forget that you know what i mean but it's like it didn't exist i talked to my friends who were the actual subjects of that attack and i said yo we got to talk about it now we haven't talked about it for 30 years like it's like a stephen king novel or something i'm like can you talk about it just because we should remember it we shouldn't be like it never happened right but they're like oh i don't want to that's history man i don't want to bring it up and so even though i was in the subject of the attack i'm going to keep at them because they need to talk about it so that we can teach you know, share our story so we can keep that alive and make our society for our kids better than what it is that we found. So. 
Thank you. Um, one thing that comes to mind for me is actually, I mean, I know that we need to be out there and tell people about what's happening with Asian hate and all that, but I think it's also, um, I forget who it was, maybe Steve or Chris said something like that, but to, that this is a hate issue and that maybe we need to be reaching out and um, making alliances with other groups, whether it's like the black or brown communities or whatever and supporting them. And like, cause this is just a, hate issue like a hu- it's a human issue it's all the same it's yes, all the same. exactly the the exactly. law that i cited was meant for native americans black people anyone that was non-white that they didn't want part of their society and then asians were thrown into that basket so we can talk about unity but we can also understand why that's needed and that's was one way of talking about hey if you go and you look at the history of these laws and these struggles they kind of are all the same and that there is a reason why we should all fight against that together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, Jolene, but I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we think we all need to like reach out to um, other communities and have some more unity and have mutual um, support and understanding, not just to ask people to support us, but maybe we can cross the line and um, be involved with other groups as well. Also, Felicia, I'd, I'd like to I yes, add one more thing. I think it's so important because everyone assembled here, we're not just in it because of one incident, right? Mm-hmm. We're in it, like, it's so important, I think, self-care right now. To, like, you know, it sounds so small, but to, like, you know, take a yoga class or meditate or do deep breathing because I know for me, like, sustainability is really key. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not something that I'm just going to do for like five minutes today. It's like something I think about every day, you know, like how to, how to keep people safe, how to, you know, how to help them. And I think that, um, I think anything we could do for self-care right now, like especially Peter, you and your wife, like I hope you guys did something really good for yourselves because th- there's a lot of hate out there. And there's a lot of ugliness. So any way that we can repair ourselves and get ready for tomorrow and the next day after that, I think is critical. Yes, because we need to sustain. And yeah, even though we want to have our stories told, like we need to take care of ourselves. But yeah, it's just important. It's like step by step um, because, you know, like Sulin, you said, telling your story, um, you had some people come out and tell you what happened to them just because you came out and told your story. Um, and so, Jolene, I believe that you, by you doing that, like hopefully you'll inspire other people. Um, two, things, two things I want to mention. Um, oh, sorry, Chris. There's a wonderful group by the name of um, Asian Mental Health Collective. I just shared the link. Um, they have a ton of resources, um, you know, panel discussions, uh, therapy contacts within different states. Um, they're also in Canada. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. They also have community within their groups so that people can, um, you know, connect with groups or read blogs about individuals that have gone through and figured out for themselves what was helpful. Um, and, you know, especially after the past year that we've all had, um, you know, going on to an open environment like that, 
um, seeing what they have available and jumping in wherever you feel ready is absolutely wonderful. Um, they organize their information very, very well, very, very effectively. At the end of this month, we're planning on getting a, um, a panel discussion with a lot of the mental health um, you know, uh, therapists and programs that are in our area um, so that they can learn from each other, collaborate with each other, um, and you know, start whatever initiatives make sense to. Um, you know, so I definitely want to make a plug for that. The other one I definitely want to also uh, point out to everybody, um, we have one member here, um, uh, Angel Colon. I don't know if you, I said your last name, but um, I've been seeing him on any number of different talks throughout the months, and he is a, a student counselor over at Stuyvesant High School downtown. Um, Angel, uh, you know, thank you so much for being so proactive in terms of finding information about programs and the community um, and then passing it on to the younger generation. Um, when they hear it from you or within the school, it's different from when they hear it from a parent or a community member. So, um, you know, thank you and, you know, continue doing the great work that you're doing. Um, you're very proactive and, you know, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. And I, and I thank you, Chris. And again, I thank this panel uh, and as well as the other Chris Kwok, who again came to our school. Uh, he was one of many uh, that we also had an AAPI um, uh, forum. And, you know, you know, to the community here and hearing all, all your narratives and your stories, again, very inspirational. Uh, and, you know, the thing that if we all, you know, like Salif, you know, tonight is that, again, we all have commonalities. You know, every community has gone through a lot of this from, from the past to the, the current present. And this is why, again, it's more important than ever for all our voices to be united, to be in solidarity, and to really, really, you know, take, you know, take this on. You know, again, one group cannot do it by themselves. You know, this takes a coalition. You know, we're all family. You know, we're all brothers and sisters. And, you know, again, anything that I can help as, as again, as I'm getting to uh, meet some of you guys and I'm coming to a lot of these uh, uh, panels and I'm also bringing, you know, I took a lot of great notes. I took a lot of resources. Again, this is stuff that I'm bringing to my community, uh, not just in my school, but also my networks through the Department of Education and through other platforms that I have. And I'll definitely, like I said, uh, do my best to make it to the uh, 29 event. Uh, so Sergeant Lee, I hope to definitely, I look forward to your event. And anything that I can do, guys, uh, please uh, reach out. And, uh, again, what can I say? Uh, love, solidarity, and I hope that, like I said, we all get this as best we can. Okay. Um, Thank you, Angel. Jolene. I, I took another Angel. Okay. Great. <laughs> right. Thank I thought this is an interesting guy. You know? He is a down-to-earth interesting guy, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, you know? so much, Angel. Thank you, Peter. Right. Jolene had a Yes. Uh, thank you, Angel. I'd like to connect with you. I'm meeting a number of um, educational folks. And I wanted to speak to unity. Um, Selene was talking about unity. And I think a an easy spot to go to are the, the schools and the colleges. I interviewed um, 16 and 17 year old Asians. And one of the girls is black and Korean and how perfect. She's the vice president of Black Student Union at her, at her um, high school. And then she started an 
Asian club. Um, I've interviewed um, two panels of 16 to 17 year olds talking about their life as an Asian and how bullying affects them, et cetera. And I think it starts a great place is in high schools, getting people to start these clubs. And then in colleges, because all the affinity groups, the Korean group, the BSU and starting there, because I think they are, you know, I'm 47, but like these kids are kind of, kind of grew up with diversity. So I think starting there is an easy place. And there's a number I would like to connect with. And also uh, there is a participant on the line, um, Lee Uahara, who, uh, who I interviewed and she and another person, parents put together how to do a PTA, um, how to do a fireside chat with the Asian Americans at the school and how to do that, to have this place where Asians can talk with each other. And then I'm talking to another teacher as well. So there's a number of things that are people are already doing. So let's, let's share these resources. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, at this point, we are at nine sixteen, so I think that we're gonna um, that we're gonna get ready to wrap up. I wanted to thank everybody um, here, the panelists, and everybody who participated for taking time out of their Monday to be here. I certainly hope that this has uh, helped you, um, or that at least it's put some uh, thoughts in your mind about um, what you can do um, with the you know Asian hate. That's- Peter, did you want to say something? <laughs> that's, that's not correct. That's not correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Check out the Asian Pacific American Heritage Special for more events. And uh, have a good night. Be safe. Take care. Um, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to part two the Q&A portion of What to Do If You Are the Target of Asian Hate with panelists Chris Kwok, Steve Lee, Sulan Moy, and Peter Yang Zhao. The event was hosted by Talking Taiwan on May 17th in conjunction with United We Stand, the 42nd annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, organized by CAPA, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans. If you missed part one featuring the opening discussion, be sure to go back and listen to episode 132. To learn more about the annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans, or any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any links to items mentioned in this episode. Talking Taiwan publishes new episodes on a weekly basis, and our work is made possible by the generous donations of our supporters and listeners. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. We are offering supporters invitations to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, Felicia Lin, the host of Talking Taiwan advanced notification of future guests, a Talking Taiwan tote bag, and other mystery gifts. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or help others to discover Talking Taiwan by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.